You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 118. On today's show, I chat with Steve Altonell, the Artistic Director of the Long Island Musical Theater Festival. We discuss filling the artistic cup, choosing music instead of the family business, the long hours necessary for working in theater, the financial stability of having a teaching job versus freelancing, preparing students to have a leg up in the professional world, coordinating choirs for the Hunchback of Notre Dame at the Argyle Theater, and time management as a high school teacher while balancing professional music director jobs. There are no outtakes from today's episode. Instead, part two of this interview will be released next week. We discuss using freelance gigs to save for purchasing an apartment and getting Stephen Schwartz to teach a masterclass and perform for the Limtiff Festival. Now, patrons already have access to that episode on their private podcast feed or at patreon.com slash artistic finance. If you're one of our 28 Patreon producers, thank you very much. And if you're listening and you aren't a patron, but you want to support the show, please join up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. And now without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, along with my co-host, our producer, Nicole Steimel. Hello. And today, I'm welcoming musical director, musician, and high school choir teacher, Steve Altanel to the show. Welcome, Steve. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. All right. So we're recording this on October 1st, 2022. Steve, what is the news in the world today that you're following? Um, Not much, actually. (laughs) And I'm enjoying that. I'm just focused on myself and my shows and my own musical endeavors. I love that. Did you hear the queen died? Oh, yeah. <laughs> For a second, I thought you like, the queen? band. I was like, wait, what? No, that much. I love that, that you I went know. to Queen, the band first. See, that shows how dedicated you are to music. Did you, did you hear that Phantom is closing? I did. Yep. I think that's okay. Uh, we all do. It's time for some fresh blood. Yes. I was, this is a side note, but I was looking at the Internet Broadway database for this line designer named Richard Pilbro, and I was just going through shows he had done, and I clicked on one, and it said it was in the Majestic Theater, Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my gosh, that means it was 40 years ago, because nothing else has been in there for 35 years except for Phantom. But do you know about Carol Burnett trying to change the name of the Majestic? What's she going to change it to? You're following the news, but you don't know the big stuff. No, they're trying to uh, name it after Harold Prince because um, he directed the show. And, you know, we're in a wave of naming these theaters after these new Broadway artists. So why not Harold Prince? Yeah. Funny you say new Broadway artists. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I think that's appropriate because he did so much and has such a legacy that if there's somebody for a theater to be named at, Harold Prince is an obvious one. Absolutely. So we'll see. She'll succeed, probably. Um, I hope so. All right. Okay, so now just a couple icebreakers that I ask everybody, and you are not immune. So, Steve, what is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? Broadway shows. Okay, okay. All right, if you had to see one today... Which would it be? Like today, October 1st, 2022. I would say Come From Away because it's closing tomorrow. And I love that show. I think it is brilliant. I talk about it with my students all the time because it's, um, I talk about 9-11 and it's, uh, you know, one of those pieces that came out of that event that I lived through and we don't really see the effects of it until we're far removed from it. And, you know, I connected to the pandemic and what they're experiencing now and have been the past few years because, 10 years from now, there's probably going to be a ton of art, music reflected based on this time period. Nice. Um, All right. So now financial personality here. Are you good or bad with money? (laughs) That's a loaded question. (laughs) 
I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I think because I am by myself and I don't have responsibilities of a significant other or children or pets, I'm worried about myself. And for me and myself, I think I'm doing fine. And I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And you have a fantastic story, too, how you got to where you are. Yeah. And, and I look at you um, just because I've worked with you and I know you. And to me, you have your life together, including your financial life. And <laughs> that's, that's, I don't always feel that way, but I appreciate you, you saying it. <laughs> um, but that's actually why I want to have you on the show, because uh, Nathan Brewer, who's a director I've worked with and you've worked with and we, we all know, he was once telling me when I didn't know who you were because you were the musical director on this show. And so he goes, oh, let me tell you about Steve. And he started telling me the story of your life. And specifically, the thing that jumped out at me was the fact that you went to all these college auditions by yourself. Like your family didn't go with you. You just went, got on the plane, went and did them. And you sort of didn't go into the family business. I don't, I don't know if you call it a family business, but there's something your family does that you were like, nah, I'm going to be a musician. And I was just very impressed that you sort of went against the grain. Would you mind telling us about you and like how you got into music or how you got into the career that you are in now? Um, well, again, loaded question. I'll try to be as brief as possible. <laughs> But, you know, I, I, I stand corrected. My mother did come with me to one audition. Um, but, you know, like I, I had immigrant parents. They came from Turkey and my mother was 17 and my dad was 27. They got married, you know, uh, when she was 16 and then came over here and then just lived the American dream. So everything they were, you know, my dad was a hustler. He was always working seven days a week. I remember like as early as like eight years old, but really from the time I was born, they would take me to the store and just thought I would go into the family business with my brother. And I remember, I guess it was third grade. We did a like a class musical and I was obsessed with like the pianist. So I just like wanted to like know more about it. And I had begged my parents for lessons for a few years and they just thought it was a phase. Finally, I think it was fifth grade that they finally agreed to rent a piano and get me some lessons. And then within eight months, I was practicing uh, piano at my school. Uh, my middle school choir director, who still is one of my closest friends today. Her name is Maria Mikumski. I would stand outside her room every morning waiting for her to get there so I could play on her piano. And within eight months, I started playing for the school chorus. So she gave me an opportunity. I think it was either late fifth grade or sixth grade. And then when I was in eighth grade, I started playing some music for the school shows. So young. <laughs> All of our music directors were like, elderly you know what it is? I think not having it for a few years and wanting it made me really hungry so I just went through the pages really quickly and then I started like directing the music teacher when she would come I'd be like I want to I made it through the whole book and she'd be like no one page a week and I'm like well I already went through the whole book so I need to fire you and get a new piano teacher so I did do that and then when I was in ninth grade and I was in the school musicals, I would walk over to the middle school and I would music direct those shows while I was in high school. And I was, and I didn't have many friends, you know, I, which was a good thing at the time. So I would spend a lot of my free time in the library and I would take out scores and then go to the media center and listen to the soundtracks on the disc man. Like, you know, they would have those mm -hmm. little like workstations and I would just follow the score as I was listening to the music. And that's how I spent a lot of my free time. But yeah, and then I remember going into the family business because I always worked at the jewelry store and there was a part of me that loved the social aspect of it. And I will say, you know, I talk about this with the fundraising that I do for choral events that we do, like even ch like chocolate sales. And, you know, they'll always be so impressed with how I organize money. And when we count it, I'm always off. But if I'm ever off, it's like by a dollar or two. And they said, you know, they'll tell me there are people who've been doing this for 20 years who still don't get it right. But I grew up watching my dad count thousands of dollars in cash at the end of the week, you know, so I didn't really know what was going on, but I was like there, but not actively a part of it. Um, but it definitely influenced me. I mean, how many people can say that they've seen like that much cash? You know what I mean? I think especially like people today, 
don't see thousands of dollars in cash and what it, you know, counting it as it, it's a skill. Like you have to put things in like the same order, like every bill needs to face the same direction, all of that kind of thing. Like those are things I learned from watching my dad and his business. Um, so I definitely think that influenced me in what I'm doing now, but I didn't know it at the time. Yeah. And we'll talk about this later, the Long Island Musical Theater Festival. But I know that when I light it for you, you sort of say, like, how much money do you need to light or how much money do you have? And anytime I say, like, we need this, we need this, you're like, well, that's another expense, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> and you're just very pragmatic about it. And you're like, okay, well, whatever the amount of money is that we need, that's what we'll get. And we'll figure out, like, yeah, maybe we don't have it now, but we'll go get it. But I also trust that you're not going to take advantage or be greedy, you yeah. know, because you're also not taking the easy way out. You're like, we really need this. Or like, you know, it'd be great if we had a fog machine. Yeah. We need that smoke. <laughs> well, and also Nathan Brewer loves follow spots. But yes. you and I are like, well, that's more money. That's more crew. That's more everything. So we, every year it's like, do we do follow spots? Do we not do follow spots? I mean, but he's always right. So. Well, of course he's always right. Don't, don't tell him that. Well, I mean, yeah. Okay. No, he will appreciate me saying it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So can you talk us through like the how you got into music? Like, because you had like, you were connected to finance in a sense through that family business into through immigrant parents with a shop, et cetera, like that. Why and how did you decide... I'm going to continue on with this music thing instead of just letting it be a hobby. You know, it's, it's weird. Cause it's like, Oh my God, I'm going to say the cliche thing. It's like, it kind of chose me. It's like, I didn't know what it was. The only thing that was like my driving force to get up and go to school, um, which I know it is for a lot of artists. And it was the only thing that gave me attention and I loved it. I loved people knowing me as the piano man, you know, um, but as I got older in high school, you know, I would play rehearsals and then be like, what are you doing today? They'd be like, we're going to the movies. I'd be like, that's nice. I'd be like, are you going to invite me? And then I'd be like, these jerks just like using me for my like piano skills, you know, to play for their shows and cabarets and everything, but they didn't invite me to hang out, you know? So it's, but it, it was one of those things that I loved. I loved being in the choir, singing a song, then coming down and then play. Like I literally played for every like accompanied song and looking back on it that saved them money because they didn't have to hire a pro pianist because I had the skills to do it which is a rarity today I will say that my assistant music director Craig Coyle who's awesome I met him as a student and he reminded me a lot of myself because he did have that kind of skill when he was a high school student and then he went to my alma mater at Westminster which is why I hire him and we we jive now. So it was one of those things where it was just like my path and what I did and I just followed it. And I love doing it. And the more I did it, the better I got at it. And I really just didn't like, you know, just business and worrying about money all the time and not realizing that being a musician, you have to worry about money all the time too, yeah. <laughs> um, which is yeah. why I went into education too. But that was always a part of it. But one of the defining moments, I would say, is my older sister, Tina. She was in the high school choir. And I remember when I was in seventh grade, I went to see her in her choral performance. And I was just like, you know, goosebumps everywhere. I was moved so much. And then I was like, I think this is what I want to do. You know, it just like hit me. When I was in seventh grade and I saw her do that, I was like kind of waiting for the moment that I'd be in that group. Although she didn't go into music, it still introduced me to like an, a sophisticated version of it. Um, and I still carry on some of those traditions today with my own high school choirs. Oh, my gosh. I love that. I also love that you're talking about your family being artistic, because when I think of the rest of your family, I don't think of them as like big arts buffs. I think Tina really loved it in a way that if she felt she could be supported doing it, she would. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, she was also an artist. And actually, funny story, in fourth grade, <laughs> in fourth grade, there was a contest. For, <laughs> I could say it now. There was a contest for the program cover of the spring concert of, like, student artists. And I remember my sister was a few years older than me, and she loved art, and she was, like, drawing all the time. So I asked her to, like, do it for me. So I submitted it as my own artwork. <laughs> <gasps> and it won! <laughs> 
And she never knew? No, she knew, but the, the people, like the choir director didn't know. Oh but I, I held on to that for the longest time. And it's a it's an image that I still remember to this day. Because in fourth grade, you did recorder. So there was like a recorder in the middle of it. And it was like fourth yeah, grade spring recorder. concert. <laughs> and there was like a drum set in one corner. Um, so yeah, I was plagiarism in fourth grade. It was bad. Steven. Yeah. That that is dark, hilarious. A dark side to your past. All right. So you said that your mother went with you to one of your college auditions. So which that's also a great thing for me to hear because I have seen your parents and they are supportive of you. So I remember when Nathan Brewer was saying he just went on his own. I was thinking like, what? I mean, I did go to a Carnegie Mellon Pittsburgh audition by myself. That was one of the big ones. I remember they gave me, I didn't know what I was doing. I really like, and there were no cell phones at the time. You know, so that was the biggest one, but I did it by myself. Also, why didn't anyone tell me not to apply to Carnegie Mellon? Because I was rejected three times from that school. <laughs> once, once academically, once from the piano department, once from the voice department. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, this podcast's only connection to Carnegie Mellon is that they have some sort of arts and business page and they put us on there as a resource. But other than that, we have no connection to them. So listen, it's a beautiful school and I loved the campus. Um, But yeah, even like when my mom was there, she didn't know what was going on. I had to like basically get myself up, wake her up, be like, we have to go here. I have to go warm up. And, you know, it was like, and I remember my Westminster audition, I think Tina came with me. And I just remember being lost at like the Wawa and we had never heard of the Wawa. And she like called like on a payphone to like a cab company to be like, we're at this place called the Wawa, you know? So it like, you know, not that they weren't supportive. I just don't think that they didn't know, but I will say like, they didn't come to my things and I was always in things, but also they worked a, a small family business. So during the holidays, they had this thing called marathon. They worked from 10 to 10 every day. And that's, you know, when all the concerts were. And so they didn't come to much. But I will say in my adult life, I think now that they realize that I'm not, they've given up on me going to the jewelry business. <laughs> they finally realized that it's not happening. But they did nag me for about like, I would say like six, seven years after I started teaching. Be like, are you sure you know? I was like, yes, I think I'm sure. <laughs> so it, it's come a long way and I'm very happy of from what I have learned from them, even though they don't fully understand it. Yeah. Well, that's another thing is like when parents have children that are going into the arts, they always want their children to have a stable career. They also want to be supportive of their kids. And that involves like supporting them, but not knowing what the arts entails. Cause like, if you don't come from that background, you don't know that like going to the events is important. You don't know how much rehearsal time is required. Plus, of course, you have your own life and your own business. Like a long time ago, we had a set designer named Wilson Chin on the show and his parents had a restaurant. And he said that like in high school, like he would always have to work at the restaurant. But of course, Friday and Saturday nights are big restaurant nights. And so he felt guilty because he's like, well, I have to be at the theater on Friday and Saturday night. Um, and he's like, it's not that my parents weren't supportive. It's just that they have this business and they have to be there. And so they can't come to the theater things. I still have conversations like with my older sister, Jennifer. I had a conversation just like a year ago. I remember she's like, wow, you really like going to shows. I was like, actually, I don't. I, I mean, like <laughs> half the time it's out of necessity or obligation. You know, you have to support your friends and their projects. Or if you get free tickets to something, you know, you're going to go. Or if it's a student's project, if I'm available, I go. And she's like, wow, you really like going to shows. I was like, it's part of the job. And she's like, oh, I never, like she, like it blows my mind that people really don't think of it that way, that this is, you know, networking. It's part of the process. It's part of meeting people. And also I I look at it as research because if I'm going to sit in auditions and play shows, I, I need to know the material. And I'd rather sit in the theater and watch it than listen to it on YouTube. Yeah, I don't think people realize how much there really goes into, you know, going into theater or arts of some sort. I know I didn't even marry an Ethan, but I mean, there's just, it's so much more than just like lighting some lights on the stage. It is a networking, it's the long hours. Um, it's going places, traveling to find work. It's super comprehensive. 
And I just recently on Instagram started following this health coach in the UK because they're for backstage theater artists. And so they're posting all this stuff to say, one of my clients just last week wasn't able to work out or wasn't able to work out very much because they were in tech for 70 plus hours. You can't get up at 5 a.m. every day because you went to bed at two or three in the morning. And like, Mm -hmm. it's just this whole dichotomy of people who aren't in the arts versus people who are. And all the people that are just sort of understand like, oh, yeah, you are going to have those 70 plus hour weeks. You are going to have all this stuff. You do have to go to all your students shows, even if that's like five shows in a week. Yeah, that's 10 hours of your life plus commute. I mean, it's fun. It's enjoyable stuff. There are worse ways to spend your time. True. Sure. We could all be on drugs or whatever. <laughs> I mean, more drugs than we are already. <laughs> Um, what, what have I said? I've said too much. Um, okay, so I just want to circle back to something you said earlier, which is you being invited to parties. And I will say that everybody should invite, invite Steve Altenall to parties because I have not been to a party <laughs> with you where you did, did not start playing the piano and everybody starts singing musical theater shows. So like, even if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see this piano back behind me. <laughs> When Steve came over, what does he do? He sits down at the piano and he starts playing and then we all sing along. And so what I'm saying is everybody invite Steve because inevitably you will sing musical theater karaoke. But you need cheap music for me. I don't play for memory. You have phones. You can play off to Google it. Yeah, exactly. There's a way around it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just saying you're wonderful to be at parties because inevitably musical theater songs start with live music. Sound like fun. Taking a break from the episode to mention our Patreon page. Now, the perks of being a patron are that you get a private podcast feed, which includes the early release of next week's episode. Now, that's part two of this interview. We'll discuss rooting for the underdog, the Real Housewives of New Jersey, payment schedules for public school salaries, raising money for producing a musical festival, and getting Steven Schwartz, Alice Ripley, and Rima Webb to teach masterclasses and perform at the LimTiff Festival. This show is free, but some of our running costs are covered by you, the patrons, including our latest patron, lighting designer Heather Gilbert. Not only did Heather become a patron, she sent an absolutely lovely note thanking me for the show, which means a lot. Now, Heather chose to save 6% by pledging a yearly amount up front, and in doing so, not only is she keeping artistic finance on the air, she is giving monthly support to more than 30 freelancers with side hustles. That is because 25% of the income generated from this show goes back to support artists or arts organizations. And of course, Heather and all the patrons are supporting our mission to improve the finances of freelancers, provide an answer to any financial question without anyone fearing shame, stigma, or guilt, and getting artists to invest for themselves and their future. If you want to jump in and help us continue this work, please sign up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. And now, back to the show. Okay, so now another reason I wanted you on the show is because you are a high school musical teacher or choir teacher, um, and that's a full-time job, and you're very good at it. You're always doing concerts and et cetera, et cetera. But the other thing is you freelance outside of that, which to me is a very unique thing because you work, it seems like you work on as many shows as I work on every year, but you have this full-time job mm-hmm. how do you do that like right now you're working on a show right now and like how, how do you have the time for that well evening rehearsals you know i it is the tricky but like i i will say i do less in regards to productions now than i used to because when i started you know i started as a lever placement in one school and then from there i was music directing for their show and then that director was music directing was directing somewhere else and she pulled me into the other school also that was a school that didn't really have the strongest music program amongst high school kids so they hired professionals my first year out of college I was hired to music direct layman's and they wanted me to be the vocal director. And then I was like, you know what? I really want to conduct this. I was like, who's going to, they're like, do you think you could do it? I was like, I know Les Mis better than any show. And they hired like a 28 piece orchestra. And I was 22 conducting this orchestra. And it was on the weekend of one of my closest friends' weddings from college. Oh. And, you know, I talk about this today. That's the other thing. As 
a performer, as a musician, as an artist, you had to make those kinds of decisions. It was one of those first adult decisions where I was like, do I conduct this show that this is a, again, an opportunity that I've never had before or go to like one of my best friend's weddings. And I decided to stay and do the show and she understood. And we're still very close to this day, but that experience a gave me the network of musicians that some of which I still work with to this day, you know, and we're talking this like 18 years ago. And then from there, I did the Catholic school and I stayed there for 10 years. And then from there, after the lever placement, I got a job at another high school. And then I started doing the musical there, but for one year overlapped with the school I did the lever placement with before. So there was like a few years where I was doing three high school musicals at a time. But this was before I had an organization, before I, you know, but then I had to go to grad schools because to keep my teaching certification, I had to finish a master's degree while working. So there were days where I would be teaching my full day. I would go to my grad class, then back to the high school for an evening rehearsal. And I don't know how I did. (laughs) So to me, now that I'm doing the college gig, it's um, a little simpler, but I think I just manage it better now. But I will say I'm tired getting up at 545 to be in a high school, working with high school kids at 730 every day after I'm at a rehearsal till 9, 10 o'clock. It's tough. But with what I do outside of the school, it really like fills my cup as someone mentioned to me the other day, you know, what I do with the high school kids, I love it in different ways, but it doesn't challenge my musical skills. So for me as a pianist, it's like, if I did that and nothing else, I don't think I'd be happy. And even now I'm getting to a point like, you know, I'm now teaching, I think this is year 12 in the high school I've been in plus six years. I've been teaching like, you know, 18 years creatively like I, I like I want to do get to the next level with my own musicianship skills well I, I will say that you music directed Peter and the Starcatcher down at New York Film Academy Josie Wilson was directing it and then you showed up as musical director which was great for me I was like I know this guy <laughs> yeah it's always fun when you have that that team of people that you you really know and trust and that's such a big part of it too getting to spend time with people you love who are like-minded creatively. So it's going to work, but it's also like hanging with your friend. Yeah, exactly. But also I remember thinking when you were there, you were balancing your full-time job and it was choir, it was like concert season at your school and you were doing this show. So you were very clear on like, we're going to work music on this day, this day, this day. And you came in so prepared. And those students were so lucky because you came in as like a professional music director and were just no nonsense. I mean, you're very good and you're very kind and all that. But you were just like, all right, let's do it. Uh, We need to work on this section. Go back. Let's do it. And I thought this is an amazing experience for those students who weren't necessarily music students. They were more acting students, but they benefited so much because of how professional you are. I work often with people who are not musicians. (laughs) You know, that is one thing. I talk about this with Nathan all the time because we are equally educators as we are directors of our own crafts. And listen, when you are a public school teacher, you, I mean, the amount of things you have to deal with in a day, it's just the processing, the managing of all of it and special needs and parents and administrators and lockdown drills and fire drills and attendance lists and fundraisers and planning trips it it is endless and and that doesn't even have to do with the actual job you were hired to do all those skills you know as much as i might not love all of them it helps me organize and manage so many other things that i think if you don't have that experience are not as maybe efficient with time And when you are dealing with multiple projects, you just have to know what you're doing. And I think having a plan and a schedule is very important. Is your motivation for taking these outside jobs, these outside professional jobs, is it money? Is it to fill your cup? Is it to do people favors or help people out? All of the above. All of the above. You know, with that situation, you know, I didn't know the show and I didn't realize how much music there was. But when she told me that, you know, we're going to 
simplify this as much as possible. You know, we're not dealing with musicians here. And I was like, I could give you this, this, and this take it or leave it. You know what I mean? So sometimes when I am busy, I'll be like, if you want me, I could only be there for four rehearsals, but I could get it done. You know, and if that means making tracks or whatever I have to do, you do, or hiring an assistant, you know, you could get me like most of the time, but a few days, like when you're running things, I'm going to bring in a pianist to play for you. And if that's cool and that's understood, then great. And if not, then I'll have to pass. Well, can I ask you about the Argyle Theater out in Long Island? Because I've seen you do shows out there. And I know a lot of professional designers that are working out there, but they don't have full-time jobs in addition (laughs) to that. So I'm just wondering how you manage that schedule. The Argyle Theater started because they were doing The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and I believe it was maybe their second season. The music contractor there is a friend of mine who's played in many of my shows and introduced me to the artistic director there, and they needed a plan for the choir because The Hunchback of Notre Dame requires a very large, very difficult, sophisticated score of a lot of heavy choral singing. So um, we met and I devised a plan to have high school kids audition and create this rotating choir situation. So I was the choral director, but also was fortunate enough to get to conduct the show a few times when the music director was not available. So we kind of tag teamed there. It was tricky because we basically, I rehearsed everybody together And then we had to create spreadsheets because we had to create a rotating choir because they performed six shows a week over, I think, six weeks during the holiday season. I didn't even have this conversation with the artist director until September. So I created this plan. And fortunately enough, through the organization, had kids audition through the Long Island Musical Theater Festival to create this choir. And I think we had over 60 kids and every night we had anywhere from like 10 to 20 kids on stage. And that was a huge task, but again, it was something I loved. That was the kind of thing that filled my cup, right? So it was one of those things where the work and the score, I'm just obsessed with that score. If there's a, if there's one show that I can conduct professionally right now, I think that would be that would be one of them for sure. And so I didn't have to be there as frequently. You know what I mean? So I did my own rehearsals. And then I conducted, I think, five performances. And then I would check in on the show, I think, maybe once, once a week. I would go in and just give a listen and give some notes. And then from there, they asked me to do the producers. And that was because the music director was based in New York City and was setting the show, but couldn't commit to the Long Island schedule. So it was kind of perfect for me because I couldn't commit to the daytime rehearsals because of my teaching job. But that was the kind of experience that did fill my cup, you know, because for the first time I was working with a full cast of professionals, you know, which had not happened before. And speaking financially, I did take a hit because I gave up a college position. I gave up a college show to take the gig at the Argyle. I had just started there. It was at Nassau Community College, and I loved my experience there. And it paid, I'm going to be honest, public colleges, public college, not private college, but it was, you know, it's a school, state school. It's a, and it was probably the best paying music directing gig I have ever had. It was one of those moments where I had to decide, am I going to keep this gig and keep the, the, heavier paycheck or take the cut and add this professional gig to my resume. I had also to this point, never done a run for more than like two weeks, you know? So that was another thing that I wanted to experience. What is it like playing a show for six weeks? You know, which again, is not a huge run, but the longest that I've had to this date. And so I took it and I passed on that gig to my music assistant, who I know, like, loved the work and was available and uh, was in good hands. You know what I mean? And someone who needed the work more so than me, because I have the steady income doing the teaching job. 
And then after that, you know, the pandemic hit and, you know, they hire a lot of New York based music directors, which I understand. And, you know, um, there are many theaters out here that do do that. You know, I wish I had more opportunities as a Long Island based music director to work in the Long Island houses, but that's their choice. And I fill my time with other opportunities when they come up. I just have so much respect for you because you're getting up at 545 every day and then you do things like go and take a six-week run of a show, which also means rehearsals. So you're talking eight eight weeks or more. I will say, you know, it's like when they say, you know, if you want something done, give it to someone who's busy. Mm-hmm. Yes. The truth is, when I am off, I don't get I can't I don't get anything done. You know, like I'll sit on a vacation if I have no plans. I'll be like, how the heck did I do all that? And like having the the schedule add structure and allows me to fit different things in between. With this show, with doctor's appointments, I'm like, okay, so Tuesdays and Thursdays are my days at Adelphi. So I could go to the doctor's appointment. I'm like, do you have like a four o'clock slot? So I could like leave work, go to the doctor's appointment, get something to eat, then go to rehearsal. And so I, you know, run my errands in between. Whereas if I was just home, I might not ever leave my apartment and get anything done. <laughs> no, that, that makes complete sense. And Nicole is always saying that because... I, you know, not to talk about her work, but people are constantly asking her for things that are like well above and beyond what she should be doing. And you she, want something done, you give it to the busiest person and they'll get it done. Yeah. So and she's the busiest person. They layer things on yeah. top. And she, but Nicole, isn't there a part of you that kind of likes it too? Sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> until she snaps. Sometimes. And then, <laughs> and then there's a breaking yes. point. And I'm like, all right, enough, enough. <laughs> yeah, that breaking point. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All right. So Steve, now let's move on to, you've mentioned this organization, the Long Island Musical Theater Festival. Because this is in addition to everything that we've already talked about. So just very quickly, what is the Long Island Musical Theater Festival? The Long Island Musical Theater Festival is, we call it a pre-professional training program. It's a two-week summer musical theater intensive. And really it started because our mutual friend Nathan Brewer and I have been working his summer theater camp programs together since our days in college. So we go back to Princeton and we were talking one day and I was like, you know, I just want to do a good show with like a full professional orchestra because I had done it for 10 years at that uh, Catholic high school that I mentioned before. And we always had these full orchestras and there's nothing like it. And I was tired of going to shows and it's just like people doing things with, you know, canned orchestrations. I mean, literally, I went to a production of The Secret Garden and it was to a track. And the people in front oh, of me during no. intermission be like, oh my God, that orchestra is amazing. And I'd be like, <laughs> You're like, excuse me. And then I, and I, and then I turned to them, I was like, yeah, they didn't miss a note. Oh. <laughs> like, they don't have any idea. But, you know, so I wanted to do The Secret Garden. It was like a show that is not done ever i mean this was also 10 years ago nicole has been in it nicole was in it so good yeah it's stunning so i just wanted to do a show and then from there it and and we had a summer music and arts program in our high school so we kind of channeled it through there so i got the facility for free for a few years and it was good because i got to recruit my own students to do it and You know, it has since evolved. And then, you know, it was Nathan's idea to, you know, if we're going to call it a festival, we had to do more than one thing. And so then, you know, we started bringing in, uh, like that year, we brought in Susan Schulman, who directed the original Broadway production, to teach a masterclass. And then the second year, we did Drowsy Chaperone, brought in Beth Level and Greg Barnes, who is also a friend of Nathan and Skye's, his husband. And they worked on the Broadway show together. So he came in with Beth for a day, which also for like the Drowsy Chaperone to work with the Drowsy Chaperone in an amateur production. And again, that's like, that doesn't get to... They don't get to do that often. And so from there, I think the third year, we decided to do a review, like a full review and bring in a Broadway guest artist, not only to teach the masterclass, but to perform with the students. So we did Merrily We Roll Along. And I was like, you know, I'm going to reach out to Liz Calloway. I don't know how I made that happen. I really don't. Um, But she came, taught a masterclass, and then performed, you know, this iconic performer who had her Broadway debut doing Merrily We Roll Along and working with the kids. So we do two productions in two weeks. And basically what it does is it provides the kids who are not 
principal roles in the main stage, a solo opportunity in the review. And this is something, it's an opportunity that I never had as a kid because I was always the piano man, but I really wanted to be the star of the show. (laughs) (laughs) But no one thought I was a singer. They're like, oh, you play the piano. So even to this day for music directors or pianists or whatever you do, you get pigeonholed into like this thing that they think that you do. Like, oh, you know, I don't know Sean Hayes could sing. Does You know, I thought he was just an actor, you know, or whatever it is. So it gives every kid an opportunity to work towards something. And it's an opportunity. So I root for the underdog. If there's a kid who has some ability and works hard and wants it bad enough, if you train them, they'll be successful. This is amazing. I love hearing you say this because I have been lighting your shows for the festival since 2015. I've done six of them. And I never once knew that you were rooting for the underdog. I never knew once that you were giving opportunities to everybody. Like, this is news to me. I just thought you were doing shows. The truth is, it's like, I remember there's Lola, Lola Lama, if you're listening. She's now at NYU. But when I first coached her, oh, my God, this girl wouldn't even open her mouth. You know, she was just so... And then I, it was just like, sorry, you know, Lola, chip, but listen, she, she knows this. I tell this story all the time and I started chipping away and she had like one solo line. And then I finally got her to like belt it, you know, and she just like, <laughs> let it out. And then the second year, it was just like, she was like ready for it, like hungry for it. And then she got like a supporting role. And then the third year she came back, she was playing Vendla in Spring Awakening. You know what I mean? And it had it not been for that small opportunity to give her that solo moment, who knows? I mean, she would have gotten there somehow, but being a part of that, you know, uh, you know, which is why we call it a, a training program. And it's intensive when kids are just there for eight hours a day doing this one thing. It allows them to really focus on the craft with no distractions. Well, I, I'm now thinking, so this year we did Pippin, and I remember there was a moment where we're teching, I'm riding the light cues, we're going cue to cue, Nathan's you know, stopping everybody, say, oh, Ethan needs to light it, stop, hold. And I remember at some point, some character comes out and says a line, and they're all going to be mic'd, right? So eventually they'll all be heard. But Nathan stopped the whole rehearsal, and he said, do that line again. And they did it again, and they just weren't loud enough. Like, they weren't being their character, they weren't projecting. And he said, okay, that was better, do it again. And and he just made them do it again. And then he said, you know, like, I, I'm going to have to take the line away from you if you can't do it. And I'm not saying that to terrify any future student that might attend this or perform in one of these shows. But that's an illustration of how you guys are training and you're you're bringing the best out of everybody because it's like he easily could have just let the rehearsal go on, not forced that person to like bring out the character he actually he's like no we're here to train these people how to be actors and we're going to do it you know i think about this all the time i'm working with college kids high school kids i talk like i just had dinner with um one of our former students sam hoffman and his mother michelle Millardi, who had a broadway career on her own it's still like working all the time she just played one of the lead roles in footloose at the argyle and she's teaching and she works for us working with our middle school kids he just finished a cruise uh and he was performing constantly he said he like learned a song in the morning and had to put it in the show like that night and this is the reality it and you talking about all the all these conversations about swings and understudies you know it's like if you want to pursue this that's just kind of the game and i never knew that growing up you know so most of these kids don't either so if they truly want to pursue this, then those are skills that are going to set them, I think, further ahead than some of the rest. I agree. Being prepared is so important. And actually, a lot of listeners to this show are not actors or performers. They're lighting, sound, etc. And I'm going to have a uh, uh, dresser on, like a costume, costume, makeup, hair person. And something that they said is they, they're like, I know six tracks on Broadway. So, like, I can go sub into six different shows because I know the track. As a dresser. As a dresser. As a dresser slash wig person slash makeup person. But it's the same thing as performing of, like, you have to learn it in the morning and then go execute it for the show that evening. And if you know how to do that, if you're organized in your brain space and in your body, like, to to be able to do that, then opportunities are going to find you. Regardless of whether or not you're going to have a career as a performer, that training is important. But as a music director, you're never just doing one thing either. You know, for me, I'm doing the choral thing. I do 
vocal lessons, I do accompanying, I do auditions. So I think as an artist, you're never just doing that one thing, but you could do that one thing. But it, but if you are truly trying to make a financial living, you have to have skills to put yourselves in different opportunities to take the gigs if they come up. And one last thing I'll say about, you mentioned it's a professional training program. Another thing is that you guys only rehearse for two weeks. So we have them submit a um, audition via video. From there, we do an in-person callback about a month before we start. So then we will cast the show via email and tell them this is your role. But here's the thing. I like other high school directors and community theaters. I don't just send out a list. I don't want anyone to know who's playing anyone's role. So it'd be like, Nicole, you will be playing the role of Venla in Spring Awakening on Friday night, if it's double cast, things like that. So if they really want to know, they have to figure it out on their own. And I don't want them to compare. After that, then we'll decide what we're doing in the review and who we have left, who needs a solo opportunity. And this is also for rehearsal purposes, too. So if we're doing Sweeney Todd, you know, the two leads are going to be in one room with one director while the other kids are doing a group number for the review. The scheduling is really tricky to figure out, but there has to be multiple things going on at a time to make it happen within two weeks. But the other thing is working with high school kids, there's a lot of drama that can happen behind the stage. (laughs) And if they're that busy, there's no room for bull. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's part of it. Part of the reason why there's so many discipline issues when you have a cast of 60 kids, if they're just hanging out and they're not busy, then they're going to develop clicks because it's going to be all the chorus kids together and they're going to be like angry at like all the leads doing all their things. You know what I'm saying? So it's like if they're always busy, then those clicks can't form. And then our cast really form a strong bond because it's not competitive and it teaches them that, yes, you're in the ensemble, but you're equally as important to this production as the star. But they're not treated that way outside of our program. Well, I'm sure anybody uh, listening is thinking like if you're in an amateur production of a show, you probably have a six week rehearsal period and it'll be evenings. It'll be whatever. But you have that long to learn your lines, et cetera. But you're they have to come into that rehearsal with lines memorized. Like, because there's just no time. You can't learn it in two weeks. Yeah, but it's a fine line. We don't want them to have just like one. Like they have to be malleable you know some kids rehearse a certain way but it's a it's tricky and and you know we don't always know and sometimes if i'm on the fence i will call the choir director and be like what do you know about this kid because that's the other thing knowing being a choral director and going to again talking about networking going to conferences i also present at a lot of conferences these are the kinds of things that get people introduced to who i am and the kind of work that i do but also me getting to know the directors and to recruit. And then if I have a question, I could go to them directly because I had that personal interaction with them. I mean, it's just like any other regular job too. You call someone up for a reference, the conferences, all of that. It's, it's really all the same. Yeah. I'm, I'm just so impressed by it because it's yeah. two weeks. Because the only time I work with students is yeah, and, and at the young. Long Island they're Musical so Theater you, Festival. You were so hesitant. I, the first. <laughs> well, I, because I say this to me, it's like, I don't know how to act around children. Like, I, it's just there's And they things, get younger every year. They get younger every year. Um, but it, it's like, because I've now reached the point in my life where college students look like high schoolers. Like, I can't yeah. tell the difference. Yeah. Um, and that was a rough pill for me to swallow. <laughs> like, oh, this person's 14. No, they're actually 24. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know how to act around children. But that's okay, because I just sort of like do the lighting. And I only have to interact if I need to go like make a shutter cut up on stage but or something. Admit it. Aren't they fun to be around? <laughs> no. And they're, and I'm amazed by the talent. Like this year for Pippin, I walked in and they were doing a number. Um, I don't know, corner of the, I don't know, some group number. And I walked in and it was so beautiful sounding. I was like, morning oh my glow, gosh, these morning glow. These students are so talented. It, it I just, I just like show. stopped because I had like some bags with me or something. And I just stopped and listened because it was so beautiful. I was like, oh my gosh, Nathan and Steve are so good at this. And Meg. 
Don't forget and Meg. Meg. And Meg. He's and been Meg. with us for since I think uh, Violet. It's been yes, six mm-hmm. or seven Meg, years. Meg choreographer. Yeah. That's it for this week's episode. My takeaway from the show is the stability of a teaching job. It's enabled Steve to have a reliable income and the structure to work on outside projects. That is a balance that works very well for Steve, and yes, it takes him from certain shows that require a full-time music director, but the payoff seems worth it. I also noticed how much time and energy Steve puts into music and training students to be prepared for the professional world. When we think about dedicated teachers, I think we think about people like Steve. So what did you think? Did you enjoy this interview? Let me know by emailing me directly at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. Now I check all the emails and I'll get back to you and I absolutely love suggestions or thoughts. If you don't want to email me but you want to support the show, please consider becoming a patron. You'll get early access to episodes, including next week's where we discuss the finance schedule for public school teachers and raising money to produce the summer musicals. Thank you to our patrons. You support our mission to normalize financial conversations among creative professionals, and we do that by providing freelancers answers to any financial question in the safest space possible. Some of the topics we've learned about on the show are complicated and others aren't, but even the simple concepts can be complicated if you don't know anything about it. So anyone listening, please feel free to ask any questions without worrying what anyone thinks. If you want to help support the mission, join up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. Thank you in advance. If you aren't ready to become a patron, but you want early access to next week's episode, there are two free ways of doing that. Just email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com, and I'm always happy to share the early releases or the outtakes from any episode. The other way you can access early releases is by signing up for our newsletter. So every month we include a link to a free outtake or an early release. Sign up on artisticfinance.com or again, email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. So that's it for today. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app or on YouTube to be notified when part two is released next week. Until then, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.